Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, Episode 79. I'm Michael John Simpson. Today we are sponsored by WhedonCon. Are you a Joss Whedon fan? Then come check out WhedonCon 2017 in Los Angeles, May 19th through the 21st. Single day and all weekend tickets are available now at WhedonCon.com. This episode features blogger Rig Maroy of Facebook.com slash Critical Masses Thinking. Rig and I have known each other a couple of years through mutual friends, and I've always enjoyed talking to her. We discussed audio engineering, music, education, critical thinking, movies, and nerdiness. Up, Guta, up! Here's episode 79 of the Something Something Experience. Yeah, lecture, and like, I sat in on this first ever lecture. Oh, yeah. And the guy he'd inherited the classroom was, like, super about the math and the physics of oh, audio yeah. engineering. Oh, yeah, yeah. And my dad's like, um, yeah, I don't know any of this shit. I've been doing this for, like, 30 years, and I, I don't know any of this shit. And... So basically, if the sound isn't right, we can turn the mic a little or maybe move a cord and see if that fixes it. <laughs> we might push a fader up if we're feeling really fancy. Yeah, yeah. Like, and turn up the gain. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it, honestly, it's it's more touch, you know, doing it by touch and trial and error. Than, right, right. He, he actually doesn't like hiring interns from like schools or conservatories because he's like I have to unteach them right so much shit because it's not what you do on the ground right yeah it's yeah I mean there's so many things that I, that, that that's a word that's been coming up a lot lately in a lot of conversations I've had lately is academic it's like if something is academic or versus like practical or, right. or like like but but in some instances you have to approach some things academically just because just to even just wrap your head around it. But. Right. Well, like, if you're building gear, like, uh, my dad's friend, Wes Dooley, runs uh, Audio Engineers Association, mm-hmm. Audio Engineering Association, mm-hmm. AA, in Pasadena, and he builds mics. So I can understand where you'd want the physics and the numbers and the math behind that so you can, you know, perfect and, and streamline how you're building your microphones. But sure. if you're trying to make a giant room with different angles and acoustics and different instruments and rotating casts, you know, right. sound optimal, then it's really just going to be like, I'm pretty sure this works better over here, but if we put a baffle here, then... You know. well, most of it's time and experience of like, it, it, it's like with the photography thing. It's like I took a photography class one time to learn how to set the aperture and this and that, and if you got this situation and that, and I don't remember any of that, and a lot of it's just like trial and error, like you said. And it's a lot easier to do that with digital photography than it is with film photography, because film, you just like, okay, I hope this turns out, and then you get it back, and you're like, oh, it didn't turn out. (laughs) Oh, sad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you. My dad got me my first uh, 35 millimeter, you know, like, uh, you know, removable lens, S, uh, it wasn't a dis- digital SLR. I guess it was an SLR film camera um, back in like 1986, like a Ricoh or something, like a hundred dollar camera kit. And I had it, and it was great. But a lot of those f- first pictures just did not turn out at all. Yeah. So you have to have the feel. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But with digital, you can look on the screen if it turned out or not. Oh, that didn't work out. I'm going to crank this up a little bit. But then the, the, you know, they also had like digital cameras. Also, you know, and I'm, I'm sure now film cameras do too. But have all this these lovely gauges and things that are going to tell you whether a picture is going to come out or not. You know, right. maybe not exactly the way you want it, but right. And I mean, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad had all the giant reel to reels, oh right, right, tapes and stuff, and everything was pretty much by hand. And then Pro Tools came out, and it was more of a accessory to the mm-hmm. other stuff he had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dad stayed vintage for ages in his studio, like, and he was known for vintage sound, nice. having like. Reverb plates from like the seventies, oh, yeah. like that, cool, you know. Cool. Um, and then at some point, he just, you know, he sold off the API, and he, like, 
you know, went to full. Like his main his main recording room now is almost empty because it's just like a couple computer screens right. on like rolly desks. Oh yeah, 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 totally. totally. And uh, so, but he still has. I think his littler recording room still has a regular board. Mm-hmm. Well, a littler, not mm-hmm. not his full API. But yeah. well, there's so much. There's so much. I mean, I guess the the hipster culture has kind of brought all the recycled, all the old vintage stuff, kind of back into vogue again. You know, I mean, phonograph records came back. Whoever thought that was going to happen? <laughs> um, and you know, fun. You know. Vinyl records came back. I mean, like Dave Grohl bought the bought the old soundboard from the studio that they recorded in, and want to keep it to record specifically because there's a certain sound to a certain board, and and you know, tubes and tubes and wires may you know make a, a warmer, richer you know sound than than chips and and diodes do. You know, right. so. Um, you know, uh, uh, and something's lost in the conversion process sometimes. Yeah, with yeah, well, there's yeah, there's even with the most lossless digital recording, you're still going to lose a little bit of something because you're yeah. dealing with ones and zeros there instead of a wave. A wave, it's a block instead of a wave. And right. So yeah, <laughs> so. I uh, that's one of the things I I've been on such a I've been listening to nothing but Boards of Canada lately. It's like either podcasts or Boards of Canada. And I, I listen to Boards of Canada at work because there's no there's no vocals to speak of other than the samples that they use and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've been going back to it again and again and again because of that warm, rich, analog sound they have. And they don't just... I mean, yes, they use a computer to kind of compile it all or whatever, like Pro Tools or whatever, I'm sure. But as part of their recording process, they use old tape decks and they have a whole different series of all these different analog tape decks that they use because each one of them has a slightly different sound and they use them for different types of processing of sounds and you know they'll they'll play a, a sample in something and it'll have that real um, artifacty kind of early early digital or very late analog early digital kind of recording like a lot of old skinny puppy stuff has that on it too where it's got that kind of creak to it Um, and they'll they'll use that but then they'll use other stuff that says it but everything that they do it's all these warm analog synthesizers and there's this sense of like warm cuddly nostalgia to their music that's just so much other I love electronic music and and I love it the more and more and more the older I get the more and more I love it you know like trip hop and and acid jazz and things like that but a lot of it has like a like a a crisp like sterile um kind of coldness to it almost or like a hardness to it cleaner cleaner precision kind of ness to it yeah. and I like the the fuzzy scratchy warm you know, buzzy, you know, organic sound of, there's something about Boards of Canada and especially with all the, the samples that they use from all the old science films and Sesame Street. I've been going through lately and going, there's these sites that list all the samples that an artist will use in a certain song and stuff. They took stuff from like the electric company and Sesame Street and old Canadian. There's a, there's an old conservation commercial that the kid who did the voice of Linus on the Charlie Brown cartoons in the 60s did the VO for this conservation commercial. I mean, I don't know if it was Canadian or Scottish or whatever, but um, yeah, I imagine it was probably Canadian, but it's just, it it, 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 it makes me feel like safe and happy. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. Yeah, I don't, my comfort music is fairly eclectic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like in my like, I'm sad and need my feels back. Uh, list is like my uncle's country band. Which oh, okay. My 
boyfriend can't stand. No one, no one I live with or or interact with on the regular can deal with my, with country. Right. And then um, eclectic uh, Wyclef's mm. uh, massive album where he pulled every single favor owed him. I think in the industry, and mm-hmm. it's a great album. Mm. And uh, and I, you know, because I like hip hop and a little, you know, some VNV and Combi Christ and oh, yeah. just a yeah. lot of different really eclectic stuff but um it's very hard in particularly the social groups i tend to work in to be like you want to listen to my stuff they're like god no (laughs) (laughs) why though yeah (laughs) even my old crusty punk doesn't really get a lot of appreciation uh one time there used to be a industrial club in orange county called das machine Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right that was long that was ages ago it was when i first started seeing my my now ex-husband um and I was wearing my crass shirt. Oh, yeah. You know, like, because I love old, crusty, political punk. That's, like, right. the best thing yeah. ever for me. Yeah. So I was wearing my crass shirt, and I bought it in London, in Camden Town. Like, you know, it was my super... And I'm hanging out on the patio, and some girl in total, like, you know, the goggles and and falls and everything, she's like, ew, crass. And I'm like, yeah, crass, fight me. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> and she's like, well, I only listen to techno and industrial. I'm like... Well, I do too because you know I'm here, but I listen to good music too. <laughs> and the look on her face, just like ah, evil hate laser beams, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I uh, just, you know, like I, I, my dad's a musician. I was raised, you know, his first album or his first studio was mostly his country band friends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that's who he went to music school with, and then it kind of evolved from there. His second studio was in our backyard and that was a bunch of different people. And then like his third studio was in downtown LA or in mm-hmm. Hollywood. And that was mostly hip hop and like underground hip hop. And mm-hmm. he, he said he sold his stake in that studio because he got tired of coming to work and finding guns on the board. Oh yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, you know, and, and the studio he's had for the past couple decades is, um, like very, like I said, it used to be very vintage. It used to be written up a lot for like how careful my dad was to acquire like certain pieces and certain sounds mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff like that uh mostly known as a percussion studio back in the day now it's you know more digital the one great thing about going digital i think is that it lets you be a lot more flexible with your space sure um so you know still has a great giant room for percussion stuff but the but you can cut it down and you can do different things to it to adapt it for different types of from, from everything I've heard from other people who are do sound or who are in bands, like miking drums is in and of itself its own science, like separate from any other type of sound recording. Miking, miking and recording percussion is is yeah. Well, and it's on a few levels. Yeah, the the mics because the drums themselves are so loud. They're not you know they you mic the kick drum usually, but you don't usually have to mic a whole hell of a lot else but if you're in a studio you have to mic everything or else it doesn't get picked up well but then it's something that's super loud and a lot of high-end mics are very delicate and can't really be you know Mm -hmm. that's why we have pop screens and stuff like that um because even saying a p too hard into a microphone can make it sad um yeah but, well, that happens yeah. on here all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although then, that's why I usually keep the microphone. I mean, this 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 cheap cheap ass fifty dollar blue uh, blue snowball. I've talked about it a dozen times, you know, dozens of times on here, and it, it it does the trick. It's very good for just sitting in the middle of the room and letting people talk. That's awesome. Openly, you know, it's a good kind of. But it also picks. I mean, you can hear we're being serenaded by the studio next door. You know, we're in a 
the, the place that I could afford for the podcast is a rock and roll rehearsal studio. I think you I think you mean we have a custom soundtrack for this episode. <laughs> I, I'm yes. pretty sure that's what you mean. Yes, we are being serenaded. <laughs> yes, the custom soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> um. The, the the country reference, um, my friend Rex, who's in the armoires, and they've been on the podcast before, uh, all of his roots are in his dad's old, and he still will go back and play with his dad's country band in West Virginia. That's and so fun. he likes a lot of that old country music. And I, I grew up listening to old country western music, you know, like we're talking 50s, 60s, uh, 70s stuff. Um, with my, you know, hanging out with my dad, stepdad in the garage, and he was listening to 56 KLZ, and it was basically, it was like con- modern country mixed with old country and western with like rock and roll crossover, rockabilly and rock and roll crossover music, you know, like uh, Buddy Holly and Elvis and, you know, Roy Orbison and stuff like that. And so, um. But white people called rock before they were clear on the concept. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it was, yeah, yeah. It was the <laughs> old, original, the real early 50s rock and roll kind of stuff, um, and mixed with that, that had that kind of country, country crossover stuff, you yeah. know, so you'd hear like a new Conway Twitty song or, and then you'd hear like <laughs> Buddy Holly and then you'd hear, like uh, Elvis, and then you'd hear Dolly Parton, and then you'd hear um, like an old, uh, um, you know, Johnny Horton or something, you know, or Tennessee Ernie Ford, you know, it was that kind of thing, and it was just really crossover, um, and then lots of Patsy and 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 Loretta Lynn and stuff yeah. like Tammy Wynette and all that stuff. Um, so, and I dug all that, and I used to watch all the variety shows. We, I mean, back in the seventies. Everybody, there's only four channels, and everybody in the 70s, we all watched everything. We all watched everything that was on in prime time between 7 and 9 every night, Monday through Friday. So there are all these amazing Jiffy Pop hairdo country stars doing, <laughs> ver- doing variety shows. Dolly Parton had one, Tammy Wynette had one, and the Mandrell sisters had one. And I don't think the Mandrell sisters were actually her sisters, but it was Barbara Mandrell Scandal. and two, a- two actresses. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, but it was. Uh, Conway Twitty and, and like sometimes on Family Guy you'd see that ladies and gentlemen Conway, Conway Twitty, Twitty yeah that's what I from, thought when he he's said not, he's not loving her today you know <laughs> it was you know one of those clips from a variety show and say like, hee we all fucking watched hee <laughs> and that was all country and bluegrass and you know uh, so yeah. but we talked a lot about um, there was a lot of talk last year about um, oh god who was the who was the big country bluegrass star who died? Merle Haggard died last year, and so I'm one of the one of the thousands of 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 iconic celebrities that that decided to escape the current political climate. <laughs> yes, it was all it was Insightly all planned to forethought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, "Well, I'm out." Yeah. yeah, David Bowie just saw where it was going, and he's yeah. like, "Now we're de- we're he's good." Like, all right, everyone, follow me. <laughs> um, enough of it. Now we're done. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. It's, but I mean, celebrities always die. It just seems worse when other bad stuff is happening. Well, it is. Celebrities do always die. That is very true. Celebrities die every year. Mortality kind of a feature. But if you look at the roster of 2016, right? It really is unique. Because I went back. I went. I did a thing in December where I went back and I looked at 2015 and I looked at 2014 and I looked at and I looked back and it was astounding how many. Big, iconic, like people who really hit me right down the heart of who I am, and not just me, everybody. I mean, Bowie, Prince, Leonard Cohen, it was just, and Gary Shandling, and comedian, you know, comedy people, and, and just. 
people who spoke to me on really deep levels and were beyond iconic. And it was George Michael, for fuck's sake. And uh, Greg Proops did a great thing at the end in December, and I'm I'm, I'm way behind my podcast. I think I'm in mid-January right now. But um, this whole thing at the end of... Right after George Michael died, of like saying that like Bowie, Prince, and George Michael, there's three men who completely subverted what it meant to be masculine, what it meant to be a man, yeah. and were beloved for it. And I, I really, that really resonated with me yeah. too because I've never made any case for being, you know, uh, yeah, hyper masculine or right, hyper. Right. Yeah. Although some people considered me to be hyper masculine, but in a I guess, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm polishing my own tea kettle here, but <laughs> polish away. Yeah, but like a in like a menchi type sense of of masculinity, rather than which you know just right. kind of good human being, kind of stand up guy kind of thing, which I try to right. be. Yeah, fail miserably at it sometimes, like we all do. But yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for how what, how we define even the concept of masculinity. Because, oh yeah. Like, you know, all due respect to the people who still hunt for their food, but the hunter-gatherer model isn't exactly the ideal of, of moving society forward as a group. So that becomes the toxic masculinity that's holding us back mm-hmm. from progress. Mm-hmm. And then we mm-hmm. have, you know, actual constructive masculinity, which we mostly equate with femi- effemininess. Is mm-hmm. that the word I'm going to Effemininity? Yeah, that one. Yeah, okay, I knew it was an academic big word like that. I don't even think that's a real word either. But No, it's not. Effeminate and effemininity. Yeah, it's one of those. But, yeah, it's it's things like being able to say your feelings in public or not even in public, but to your partner um, and not shooting those things down quid pro quo just because it's not a dude thing is one of the best things I see when I used to be a teacher, like watching boys and girls actually be friends and not go through that. Like, but he has boy cooties that like, that doesn't happen a lot in the schools that I've worked in. I'm sure it happens in other parts of the country more and all that stuff. I'm aware I live in a bubble, but it's been really heartening to watch kids really learn from preschool or even at home sometimes how to use I statements and express their feelings and be aware that they can be supportive of each other regardless of someone's genitalia or hormone levels or whatever. Skin Um, color, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, skin color is another one I haven't seen a lot in the schools I've worked in just because I was born and raised in LA. Mm -hmm. I've always been in urban, like heavily mixed population schools. Oh, good, 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 good. Uh, When I was was a kid, my elementary school was mostly Latino Mm -hmm. and I was literally the white kid that Mm -hmm. they put into, Mm -hmm. they put two native English speaking white kids into each of the main elementary classes so that we could model what English is supposed to sound like for the immigrant kids. Oh, okay. So, um, I've never really seen, they really calculated it that much really to try and have a lot of white kids is my impression, but they had a lot of kids that were not getting English input at home. I think. Was this the school you went to or the school you this worked was, at? No, this was the school I went to for okay. my elementary. Uh, I was I was the model white kid. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. at some point I went into the magnet system, which oh, is yeah. federally funded, um, usually advanced education, although it can just be specialized education. It's aptitude driven? Uh, not Well, Ish. you choose the schools you want based on your interests once you get into the system. But the system is race-based because the federal government designed magnet systems as a way to force segregation in 
diverse populations. Like, so there wasn't a white school or a black school. There's at least this percentage of kids are going to bus into this school. And how do we get them to volunteer for that by offering a heavy arts program or offering an honors gifted magnet mm-hmm. or offering... Yeah, there's a math magnet, a science magnet, a, a music magnet, I think. Right. Uh, a humanities magnet, medicine magnet. Oh, wow. I, my high school is a long government magnet. Mm-hmm. And because once you're in the system, you're in the system. So I was one of those people that was taking up one of them, like... Western European spots, uh, yeah, like an asshole. But no, <laughs> but I had a really decent education. But that also means that my cohort was integrated by design. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I went to almost exclusively like Latino schools outside of my magnet system mm-hmm. ecosphere, where there was maybe like X percent Latino, X percent Black, X percent Asian, mm-hmm. uh, because that's. You know, that that was the deal for that. Yeah, I was never in. I didn't grow up in in L.A., so I didn't grow up in a you know giant popula- populace uh, where where they actually had to do math to figure out where to send kids to school. I went and just went to the school, whatever school was in the neighborhood. That's where you went, and right. and it was an integrated. I guess it was integrated enough by somebody's standard, um, mostly white. But I mean, there were definitely some. I would say that probably the the smallest population was black. Um, lots of uh, Southeast Asian, especially in the eight, uh, after the eighties started, uh, mid eighties, uh, lots of Southeast Asian kids. Yeah. Um, but lots, of, mostly white and Latino. Yeah, my, uh, my my schools were black and Latino. I was raised in Van Nuys, which mm-hmm. is heavily Latino, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. some black population. And but I was also in LUSD, which is the largest school district in the country I think I think so so that that idea of like you just went to whichever school was closest wasn't necessarily going to be Mm -mm. an option even you got picked up on a bus and you were shipped somewhere based on a a math problem and that happened I think my sister's freshman or sophomore year of school because she was going to our local school Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the school had asked if they wanted to do tracked year round which means that they take turns having their two months off which means you don't necessarily get summer break but you might have a two month winter break or you might have a two month spring break or see we didn't we didn't mess with LAUSD my my ex-wife and I were living in in Van Nuys at the time uh right at Van at Van Owen and Woodman and um we had a kid and then by the time he was about four and a half we're like we didn't even think to look into the school I mean I, I would imagine that Catherine probably being the the kind of background researcher type person that she is or can be that she probably looked into it and went eh, not so much we're moving we're, we started looking around at suburban areas to try and find rather than send pay money to send the kid to to send Taylor to or then Trevor to uh, public schools or, or pay money to send private schools we figured we'll move to a slightly more expensive area with good public schools and so we picked Santa Clarita because most of the schools up there are blue ribbon and it it was like a little we had a slightly smaller house for a little bit more money and and we were able to afford it and the commute hell but yeah Yeah, my parents did the Russian Jew move Uh, Mm. so every Russian Jew I've ever met that's from LA that's Mm -hmm. roughly my age Mm -hmm. was born in West Hollywood Mm -hmm. because in the early 80s it was a Russian Jewish neighborhood and in the also in the early 80s they put an AIDS clinic more LGBT people started moving Mm -hmm. in closer Mm -hmm. to the clinic Mm -hmm. and then a lot of Russian Jews especially the more religious ones were like you but why though and then would buy property in the only place they could really afford which was like 
San Fernando Valley, so a lot of Van Nuys, Sherman Oaks. Oh Spain. yeah, because there's that whole thing along Chandler. There's that whole yeah, yeah, yeah. along Chandler. Um, there's yeah, there's a lot of Jewish neighborhoods up there, yeah. but there's still a lot of those Russian Jewish neighborhoods in West in West Hollywood there's too. There's still enclaves. Like they didn't all move, but it's like in my head, it's like the giant Russian Jew migration. Just because I, every time I meet a Russian Jew, I'm like, "Where'd you grow up?" They're like, "Encino." I'm like, "Where were you born, though?" And they're like, "West Hollywood." I'm Hollywood, like, "Yeah, yeah no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly how your parents moved and when they moved." Yeah, uh, but it's you know, like I say, I was you know, I was in Van Nuys, and it's not a great neighborhood. And the places I ended up going to school, getting bused to for mm-hmm. middle school and for high school, uh, were not better. Mm, yeah. They weren't better neighborhoods, but that magnet was its own type of bubble of, like, happy integration. And they kept us on campus. Like, we got bused onto campus. Everyone else walked to campus, drove to campus, were dropped off outside, or took public buses. Mm-hmm. We were the only ones with school buses, and we came onto campus, and we left from... We boarded buses on campus and went off. They never let us into the neighborhood. I mean, once we were seniors, we could walk around and do more stuff. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, at the same time, my high school, uh, one of my not favorite memories because it's terrible, but like just most iconic memories of the areas I was in high school. Uh, two kids got shot in a drive-by right after school one year. Mm-hmm. And I was going off campus with one of my friends from drama to get snacks for the drama class. And just there are two bodies in the way. And I'm hearing the two administrators argue about whether it counts as an on-campus shooting because they only fell onto campus. Mm. Uh, they fell into the, like, ivy around oh, the gates. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're like, but it's not really on camp because oh, it, it was not the first death or grievous injury that year. And they were trying to mitigate the publicity, I guess, by establishing the story yeah. right then while there's still these two kids that hadn't been picked up or anything. Mm. Christ. And I was like, it'd be great if you weren't having this in front of kids. Like, yeah, if you could yeah. go, if you guys could go have a meeting after this, that might be. Yeah, wait till the cops are come and get everything taken care of, and then go to discuss how to do the paperwork. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it was. Yeah. So you you got into the the, the drama because I you're like, yeah, and I know you'll take this as a compliment. You're a huge nerd mm-hmm. like me, um, <laughs> and so I would imagine you you started off on that kind of journey. Or lifelong pursuit through the drama club, or no. did that come later? No, actually. So I got into the magnet system when I was in sixth grade, and mm-hmm. my magnet at my elementary school is a gifted magnet. So I was already proto nerd when I was little. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second school I went to, I think at the time was just a gifted magnet as well, mm-hmm. and now I think it's a music magnet. Uh, Sepulveda Middle School. I'm not sure exactly what its trajectory has been for its magnet. And then my high school is a long government magnet, so I became a poli-sci nerd, totally always ready to talk about politics and why people are wrong, because it's an American uh, pastime right now. But uh, then with that, when I went into high school, I was... Well, when I was in middle school, I was in, like, student government and leadership and all that stuff. And then when I was in high school, I was in academic decathlon, mock trial, speech and debate. Oh, wow. Like, I was never not a nerd. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And yeah. I actually didn't get into drama until middle of junior year, I think. Yeah, I got or, into it way too late, too. And, well, and the only reason I ended up becoming a drama nerd or drama geek was because my, my academic decathlon coach had switched... Had, had left, and the new guy did not like me. And he was trying to make it a you-can't-be-in-both-things thing. So I had to pick between academic decathlon and academic or, and, and play production. But obviously, play production actually had a teacher who liked me. <laughs> 
Uh, so once I kind of stood my ground enough... The path of least resistance. Well, I, I still resisted quite a bit because I feel like having to choose a th- genre to live in is bullshit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really have always hated that idea. I was, I was that kid that, like, the first time I heard the phrase, we all put our leg, our pants on one leg at a time, I, like, learned to balance my ass on the side of my bed and put <laughs> my pants on. Just to on. be just in defiance yeah. of... of, of- Convention, yeah. Right, because yeah. fuck the police, basically. Yeah, fuck the police, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just stuff like that. I, I was always the, uh, nuh uh. <laughs> yeah, nuh uh, yeah, yeah. So. I was just trying to keep my head down, I guess. I don't know. I, 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 I look back and it's like when I think of just how much more, and I, I spent so much time waxing regretfully on this, but like, like how much more enjoyment I could have gotten out of everything had I just spent more time in the drama department, you know, all the way through school and just continued that into college would have just made, it made me genuinely happy, but it was this thing of, of hearing someone else's voice in my ear of, of no, you need to do this other thing, which was never defined, but it's like, no, no, don't go have, don't have fun. Don't enjoy yourself. Do a thing that is work. Right, and I got that I think a lot from my father, which is weird because he's an audio engineer. Right. Like he's right. never finished. Well, gee, Dad, you followed your passion. You he's know. like, yes, but I was good at my passion, like that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah. So in university, I still did the play stuff on the side. Mm-hmm. Like I ran a Shakespearean troupe, and oh wow, did you know we did really messed up adaptations of Shakespearean plays, <laughs> like text Shakespeare, but like while doing like Fosse. <laughs> like, oh wow, nice choreography nice. stuff like that. So <laughs> we we really uh, worked and abused the genre as much as far as that would go. <laughs> but, to be or not to be, be and bienvenue, welcome. Oh, just vini vidi vici. Well, I mean, just the witches scenes alone. I had them like doing you know boil boil, but like while they're doing. Like little stopped and hard accent things. <laughs> Grab the hat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally had hats. Totally were doing belly dancing nice, mixed nice, with modern nice. mixed with yeah. You ever you ever watch you ever watch that scene in, in Clockwork Orange where they're walking they're walking in slow motion down the side of the water right before he like he like you know trips Alex trips one of the guys and then throws him in the drink. Uh, they're just going to totally, you know, they got those bowler hats on and those canes, and you think they're going to stop and just immediately just pose and <laughs> completely go fossy on you. you know? I, I did not, that was not my impression of that movie, but that's also because I watched it, I think, when I was in elementary school, beginning of Ooh, middle school. That's a real early time to be watching well, that movie. But I hadn't seen it until my friend and I had researched everything we could possibly find about it. She had a movie guide book wow. about it. We, wow. That's, these are the kind. I wasn't hanging out with the cool kids. Let's put it that way. Oh, no, like, no, no. You yeah, know, we, we were the research intensive. Like my my mom had a DOS. that burning curiosity. That's right. what, well, that's what being a nerd yeah. is. Well, it's, it's the it's the wanting to take something apart and learn absolutely every little tiny bit of minutia about it. It's not what you consume; it's how you consume it. It was part that. It was part always being right. I think mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for us, wanting to know what the right answer is so that you have it as, right. <laughs> as ammunition. Yeah, like same when my when we first start getting computers that did more than just word processing mm-hmm. um, my mom brought a DOS based uh, Jeopardy game oh yeah and computers had or still ha- I'm not sure I'd, they never work anymore but a pause button and this is the only game I've ever met where the pause button worked for that on the keyboard oh yeah so they would ask us the question and we'd pause it I had like the actual like book Encyclopedia Britannica's in my room we'd go look up the answer as far as we could and you won that Jeopardy. we won every single and my mom was too amused at watching us like 
feverishly research these stupid fucking <laughs> questions to like ever teach us about like sportsmanship or like being wrong um, wow. and how, how to, to lose, lose gracefully, sometimes right? Yeah, yeah. And well, I mean, and my dad's no help. Like when it comes to board games, like just his entire family talks shit incessantly while we're playing games. <laughs> like, wow. wow. Just, and he, it was funny because when he um, was living with his now wife, but then girlfriend. He wanted my sister and I to be closer with our, you know, future stepmother and all be family. And he's like, "Well, I was thinking it would be great if we all played Scrabble together because because Karen's really good at it." And my sister and I looked at each other like, "Do you remember how you taught us how to play Scrabble?" And he's like, "It'll be fine." <laughs> no, it wasn't fine. Yeah, not only the record scratch, <laughs> it yeah. wasn't fine. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, my sister and I trounced both of them by like a couple hundred points, and we talked shit the whole way because that's how we were taught to play. That's part of the rules in our yeah, family. Yeah, <laughs> and just yeah, like yeah. I remember playing Sorry with my dad, the board game Sorry with my dad, and he just was not being nice to me. I'm like <laughs> eight or whatever, and I, he was just not being nice and letting the kid win at whatsoever. And he would just got to, and he got to the end, and he was like, "Sorry," <laughs> you know. I was like, "Oh man, it's I'm right sure." I, I'm sure I cried my eyes out, but you know, it's like it's like. It's all there on the tin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry is my favorite board game. Actually, like it's it's dumb and it's relatively quick unless you play unless you're raised like me to play viciously and horribly. Um, we never let my kid, my stepdaughter, win anything, but she's smart enough that she could pick up games like that sure. fast enough. But I still remember the horror on my mother's face the first time she got sorry at her house. And we all sat with my stepdaughter and my ex-husband and her to play Sorry with the baby. And she's like four at the time. We still call her the baby. And she uh, and she watched me talking shit to her, and she started to talk right back. And I was like, <laughs> all right, fist bump. My mom's like, don't reinforce that. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's survival skills, mom. Survival right. skills. This is how she's going to, yeah. When she's playing poker in, in, a, in a dirty room, smoke-filled room in Macau, this is going to suit her. <laughs> this is going to help her out. Just the horrible things that come out of her mouth, and knowing they all came from me, like, it's just, it just reaffirms <laughs> the reason I did it. that seed and walked away. Laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yesterday, my uh, girlfriend and I went with my ex-husband and my stepdaughter is kind of like a let's test the waters thing uh, to watch Logan. Mm. And there's a preview for a trailer called Life, where mm. which looks a lot like Alien, the mm -hmm. movie. Like, they mm -hmm. find mm -hmm. uh -huh. an organism on a planet, and they raise it, and they turn it back alive, and they start to realize there's a problem, and then it eats everybody, or whatever, yeah, yeah. is what it looks like. And very, very alien, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, so the lesson here is abort everything. Basically, this is Planned Parenthood, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you'd think yeah. my ex-husband would be used to my mouth it's, by now. <laughs> it's always science fiction, always, right. always, like, you know, do, being the forefront of social change, of, of social commentary. Right. Uh, disguised as pew pew. You yeah, know? exactly. You know? yeah. I, I'm like, it's doing the world a service, basically. Yeah. And my stepdaughter's laughing, and my girlfriend's laughing, and my ex-husband's laughing, but trying not to, because he's trying to be a good father in front of his child. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. is that necessary? I'm like, yeah. utterly my stepdaughter's like utterly daddy. I'm, like, I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, I saw an ad for that. Um, I think I saw it online. I don't know if I saw it or on TV. I didn't see it on TV. I don't watch TV. Um, I watch thing. I watch television shows. I don't watch TV. Don't consume commercials. Um, yeah, I probably watched the trailer online. What did I see? Oh, I just saw the Deadpool, the new Deadpool teaser. The Deadpool two it's, teaser was so great. It looks so amazing. So great and filthy too. I yeah. mean. 
usually a trailer they kind of kind of pull back on some of that. Well, but. I'm sure that's not the one that they're showing in like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> you know, no, but. No, no, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited for the new Deadpool, and yeah. I, I love all the I love the Marvel universe and the Marvel house. It's too much for me at this point. I can't. I've been, yeah, I've been falling way off. I think the last the last one I saw was Doctor Strange, but I didn't see it till January. I mean, I that and that came out what in October or something, November. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I haven't seen the last two. I don't think I... Did I see the last Avengers movie? I didn't see the last Captain America movie. I didn't see the Civil War movie. I didn't see... There's a couple other ones. But I finally saw Doctor Strange and really enjoyed it. I li- I'm liking the more kind of standalone story, not necessarily multi-part franchise ones. I'm liking the standalone the standalone ones. Right. Well, I mean, I assume Doctor Strange is going to get integrated into an overarching all the heroes need to get their shit together. Sure and it's will. not just the Avengers. Sure and, yeah. But I'm... Yeah, I, I like how the movies, well, the Marvel movies have gotten better and better, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I feel like they really solidified that with, like, Deadpool and Logan. We're like, we can do R, and it can be I, a hard R. I, ha- I can't, yeah, we're, we're very much looking forward to seeing Logan. Logan and, um, what's the, uh, what's the, um, uh, Jordan Peele movie? Um, Get Out. Get Out. Get Those out. are the two top two on our list right now. I want to see Get Out. I'm so not great with American horror movies. Mm. Like, I don't really tend to connect to them on the same way I connect like I love Korean horror movies that's my shit like I'm just so or Korean thrillers too like which mm-hmm. are kind of skirt this line in mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. genres but like yeah I, I, American horror movies I'm kind of like oh but it's getting such good reviews and it's a Jordan Peele and I, I love Key and Peele and right. I love each of them independently did like, you see Keanu? No, I the didn't. It's so cute. It's so fucking it cute. It sounded really cute. It I mean, it's so an cute. hour and a half Key and Peele sketch, but who cares? It's, it's right. Key and Peele, and it was adorable, and yes. I, I really wanted to see it. I think I didn't at the time, either because I was homeless or because <laughs> uh, it might have just been... I was waiting for it to come out at the Regency because yeah. the reviews yeah. were mixed, and I usually yeah. wait for the $3 theater yeah, sure, sure. to see stuff where I'm like... Mm-hmm. We just saw um, we just saw uh, uh, Hidden Figures, and that was great. Hidden Figures is Um, haven't seen, um, what was the one that won the Oscar? Uh, uh, can't remember the name of the movie. Oh. It won the Best Picture Oscar. Moonlight. Moonlight. Moon, yeah. Hi, everyone. Just wanted to take a moment to talk about our sponsor. This episode of the Something Something Experience is brought to you by WhedonCon, a charity and sci-fi fantasy gathering celebrating the works of Joss Whedon. Created by the fans and for the fans, WhedonCon 2017 will take place the weekend of May 19th through the 21st in Los Angeles and will celebrate the 20th anniversary of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In honor of the late Ron Glass, all proceeds from this year's convention will go to the Al Wooten Jr. Heritage Center to fund after-school and summer programs for low-income families. Get your single-day or full-weekend tickets on sale now at WhedonCon.com. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. 
I, I cannot tell you how lack of best investment I have in the Oscars. Oscars. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Uh, anyway, haven't seen that one yet. Um, but um, but really, really want to see Get Out because it's like okay, yeah, cool American horror movie, cool Jordan Peele, and then but everybody's like, white people are pissed off because they're calling them racist. I have to see this movie. Right. I have to now. It's like yeah. an obligation. I have so now to yeah. So now game on. Must. But, yeah. I mean, there's they're even picking apart little tiny subtle things in that movie. I read a thing where like there's this like racist white girl character in the movie who's eating Fruit Loops and is is eating the Fruit Loops separately and drinking the milk separately from eating the Fruit Loops so it's so, so as to separate the whites from the colors <laughs> as some little subtle message. That's and awesome. Like, that's incredible. That's great. And that's 100% on purpose too, exactly. which is amazing. Yes. No, that was on purpose. <laughs> and so I had, that's, I had, it's like get out and yeah, I have to see that and Logan, I have to see. And I haven't, I didn't see the last two Wolverine movies either. That's and, good. And, Live yeah, with that right, right. reality. And, and, but this one looks Looks so different, and I want I want grown up movies. I want rated R movies. Yeah. Well, and honestly, this slogan was the only one that felt like it wasn't fanboys just jacking off over no. the no. novels they have. Because right. I hate I hate Wolverine Origins as a comic book. Like as a trade, it's not my favorite volume. Mm-hmm. It's dumb and it should feel dumb. And then they made a movie out of it poorly. And I'm like, you made a bad thing worse. Good job. Go, you know. Was that different from the one with him and, and Sabretooth? No, that's the same one. Oh, okay. Well, where he and Sabretooth are, like, actually brothers or cousins or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and it's... it's um, And everything's just too neat Leif, and pat. Leif Schreiber as, as Sabretooth. It's like, he doesn't look like a superhero. It looks like he should be your accountant, you know? It's like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, enough makeup and fur on anyone. I'm, I'm not super worried for my own part about the cost... You know, the, the casting choices of that stuff, just because the entire movie was so weak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They screwed up the Deadpool character they've had to the the best thing that the X-Men franchise ever did was reset the fucking continuity to not have to address Wolverine 1 and 2 I like Days or X-Men Future 3. Past even though it was supposed to be a Kitty Pride story but uh, the Kitty Pride was supposed to be the one who goes back and it's supposed to be like a Holocaust allegory right um, and I know that because of Kitty Brown um, but <laughs> uh but I enjoyed that movie a lot. It was yeah. it was it was good, and it was an interesting story. And I like I like how they're incorporating. Well, X Men and, and Marvel Comics has always done that. Marvel Comics has always been on the forefront of social commentary, and X Men has always been an allegory to race relations. Yeah, and so well, since the second iteration. But uh, yes, okay, yeah, yeah. Continue. So, um, but. Um, and I say that not to mansplain, but just to say that I understand right. that that's what it's about. And so, um, the, uh, is, um, it, but it was enjoyable. And I like how the whole thing goes back to the sixties and there's all the stuff for the sixties and, oh, mutants, you know, and, yeah. but then, but then, uh, what's his name? Quicksilver. Uh, yeah. it, uh, just that whole scene just Gorgeous. made that yeah. fucking movie for me. Yeah. And I love that actor cause he, I love him in, um, I loved him in the first season of American horror story. Um, but I get what you're back to what you're saying about American horror movies. So many American horror movies have become such PG 13 teenage fodder that it's like, pfft, you well, know, that's and, part of it. I right. mean, part of it's the PG 13. Part of it is how R is defined in America, mm-hmm. which is way the hell different from how the adult movies are defined mm-hmm. in other countries. We have bizarre amounts of hang-ups about shit that shouldn't matter. 
And nudity, sexuality, that kind of stuff. Well, not just language. Not just that. Who can die in a movie oh, is hugely political. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. will almost never see a kid actually get killed. True. And not I'm mean, on screen. No, I'm not even talking about on screen. Once in a while, they'll get away with a kid being killed, but 99 percent of the time, they will rewrite the entire source material mm-hmm. if it means that the kid lives, even if that's screwing Sleepy the point. Sleepy Hollow is one of those rare exceptions where he kills the little kids right. and, and he, you see him carrying the, right. the children's heads and putting them into a bag, and but you don't see the death occur on screen. Walking Dead has subverted that. I don't yeah. watch Walking Dead that as a regular thing, right. but I've noticed that they will show somebody killing a child by putting an axe through their brain. Right, and they'll ha- and they have a lot more freedom on like Showtime and HBO sure. to do shit like that. Well, but, but like, that's AMC. That's, ca- that's cable. It's not even... Well, it's it's not even premium, but they still yeah. have. Ever since the rating system came out mm. under Clinton, like everyone's had a lot more free hand. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why we have South Park, and that's why South Park mm-hmm. is what's it, normalized mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. shit that we used to oh, never yeah. even see on TV. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah. things like but you still like you know wide release movies. You mm-hmm. still won't see usually kids dying. You won't see animals dying for a few reasons, but um, you won't and. When so, like when they adapted Old Boy as an American adaptation, which did not need to happen and would not make sense, I feel in an American context for the explanation. So many people who love that movie, which would have been the audience that the studio was trying to go for, just automatically step back because the stuff we love about the Korean movies is how specifically bizarrely graphic they they get, uh, and how the graphicness isn't necessarily the same in every single episode. You're always going to have like an axe murderer or a poisoner or something in an American horror movie. You're almost never going to have someone extract some some other dude's teeth with a close-up from the inside of the mouth of it happening. You know, like, Unless you're in an Eli Roth film. That's completely right. different. But that's, that's I, I consider kind of like the gore porn thing completely different from horror. Yeah. Hor- gore like, porn thriller versus right. horror film. Well, and then that's the other thing. Like, There's a certain point, even in the Saw movies, where it's like, I don't care like it's they're not actually learning lessons there's no it's just just violence for the sake of violence right the the first Saw movie was interesting at least the first Saw movie was a psychological mindfuck and you know close quarters shit and it you don't see the bad or you don't know that you you know whatever through the whole thing um, but every saw after that was just torture porn, the ho- yeah. you know, hostile torture yeah. porn. Yeah. And torture yeah. porn's not horrifying. It just numbs you out to seeing what people can do to people. And it's almost always done mostly to women. Yeah. I was taking a human sexuality class and she said, you know, is the U S sexually repressed? And a, and a lot of people, you know, some people before me got to like, well, we're not like certain places in the middle East, but you know, we still have some repression, which is fair. Like that's the correct answer. But compared to Western Europe or, you know, the more affluent East Asian countries were completely sexually repressed. Oh, and, yeah. And we yeah. think of women as, and it's weird to say this about like societies like Korea and Japan where women's beauty is, is an excuse for a lot of stuff or it's a reason they can't do a lot of stuff. But in the movies, at least they have, a, sometimes, usually they have a lot more agency. Uh, maybe that's just more in the movies that make it over here. But, uh, you know, here I, I cracked a joke and was, she, or she says, how, how does society, what does society tell us in the media about our culture? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the obvious one is that the female, if she is remotely sexually active, she's either going to get killed by a serial killer or be the less desirable object in the of the two versus the virtuous, yeah, the quote unquote Madonna. virtuous Madonna, right, right, and right. it's gross, right, you know. And then you and then you look at 
shows like, or the chick is like a badass action hero who can, you know, get away with having sex because she's at least killing enough people to make up for the moral, right. she's whatever. She's behaving like a man, basically. Right. She's basically mask, ma- a mask, more masculine, classically masculine figure, the hero figure. Yeah. Right. I mean, she's hot and she has tits, so that's how we know it's different, but, yeah. you know, and then you get stuff like Lady Snowblood. Or Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, where she's feminine, and that's cool, too, and she's killing fools because they need killing, but, like, there's a huge divide on the type of hero she is. She's, you know, in in Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, she's a mother. Her whole point is to be a mother. She's Mm -hmm. really hard, and she's definitely traumatized, and she's done some shit that's not great, but she can still be a great hero because she's not, you know, like, the... Madonna or the whore dichotomy that's not the issue at this point and I love that movie just for that alone but I don't feel like you could actually see a movie like that here even when we're trying to do a movie that lauds a certain underrepresented class or or tries to pull people out of the light like hidden figures we still whitewash them or we still you know so the like the Kevin Costner scene with him bashing the, the, the crowbar sign, scene, the crowbar yeah. scene, that didn't happen in the book, apparently, or at all. In but, real life, no. But that uh, was added in just as a thing of, we got to show the white guy being nice to the black people. Right, and, and the real story is great. Like, I mean, she yeah. she never got her, her past to use other bathrooms. She just started using the white bathrooms. On her own. Yeah. Without being told it was okay. She just well, did it. And illegally, like, but oh, yeah. out of a full-on fuck the police type mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, uh... And I think that would have been more compelling. That would have been right. more interesting to have rather than her getting, quote unquote, permission or having to complain about it instead of just doing it. Right. And there's uh, that whole thing of, yeah, she... she but I, I felt like Hidden Figures was kind of like a feel-good movie. and But I definitely think it was a step in the right direction. It, it, it's stories we need to hear more of. And right. at, the more we hear those stories and the more those stories get normalized, and I say those stories, that's a horrible way to put it, but the more we hear a, a wider variety of, of stories and perspectives and viewpoints and experiences, the more normalized they become. And the more normalized they become, I, the more integrated those experiences become, I think. I, I agree to a point. I, I mean, I... I definitely believe that we shouldn't, as a society, discount a step in the right direction because I feel like that holds us back as much when that conversation becomes, okay, we have Obamacare, but he should have done this and this and this. He wasn't going to be able to pass this and this and this, but people are dying. Right. So this is a stopgap measure until we can improve it, except for now it's probably not going to be even that. Right. Uh, but it's it's that weird thing of like it's not exactly what I need. On the other hand, sometimes those steps would have been so much easier to just not do that crowbar scene and to do the, you know, it, it might've been a step in the right direction, but it would have been so much easier just to take a step to the, you know, make that step a little bit further make that step just, you know, an inch to the right. Yeah. Or I mean, left or progress gets made in the little tiny baby steps. And, and I, I see, I see that film. It's funny. You know, I, I, viewing that film from a 60 through a 60s lens you know it's like the behavior they experienced that's just the way it was Kirsten Dunst's character it yeah, she had to figure out who yeah, that was by the way yeah Kirsten Dunst's character um, and that was the great thing Kirsten Dunst wasn't being Kirsten Dunst right. uh, 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 Kevin Costner wasn't being Kevin Costner right. those those 
those white actors weren't being those white actors. They were being characters. And that was the great thing I love about that movie is the focus was on the story of the mathematicians of the, of the, of the engineers of the, of of these people struggling in that time. That's what I think was the good, good thing about it is the focus was in the right place. I I absolutely agree. I just, again, I I feel like there's a lot of, well, but again, those baby steps, I, I feel like there's a lot of movies that come out where they make a decision based on the studio or because it's told through a white lens or whatever. And then that movie tanks. The only reason we're even talking about this specific scene is because this movie didn't tank and it was huge. If it had just been a movie about black folk that didn't really strike any chords with a mainstream audience. (laughs) White people. White people. Right. Uh, It didn't make white people feel better about themselves. Right. Or didn't make white people go, oh, wow, things were really bad back then, which is the whole time I'm sitting there watching them going, oh, my God, this is so horrific, these things these people had to go through now, but that's because we know this now. Right. But but just this did get traction, Mm -hmm. but it didn't take that extra risk. It took a lot of risk for our time, and which is stupid to still say in twenty seventeen, right? But at the same time, you know, there's so many there's so many movies that get get castrated like that Mm -hmm. that are huge budgetary things, and the people who made this decision are the producers or the studio itself make you know force them to make a change, and it's usually those changes that people end up focusing on and hating because they're so antithetical to what the movie was supposed to be or or was purported to be or whatever. And so it's not even that they're taking measured risks and stepping back the risks. They're they're not taking risks that they need to take because the audience is so habituated to the other shit that that shit's boring now. We need to, you know, start expanding and taking bigger and badder risks. I I agree. I agree with that completely. And the MPAA... But, but was, I, I, I myself can't completely discount the baby step. That, that, I'm, and, and I'm not discounting it. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying, yeah, like, yeah. don't go say, see Hidden Figures because right, it did right, this thing. I'm just right. saying, like, that was a shitty move for the creators to make. Well, of course. And, but that's because, ultimately, every studio film is some white guy and, you know, some yeah. rich white guy. And, and that's what it is. It's like, it's like that movie... Yes, it was showing a different set of perspectives, a different viewpoint, a different mm-hmm. set of experiences from from people who don't normally get that much screen time or aren't the focus of a film. But it was still a white people came out feeling good at the end of that movie, and that's that's that is the one criticism that that it's it, you're. I think we're both saying the same thing basically. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, I also think the pitfall and stuff like that is again white people come out feeling great about themselves, but it's in a aren't we glad it's not like that anymore type of way instead of being like, hey, look at all these things that still are not great about that right. situation. Right. Like, uh, yeah, and that's <laughs> the thing. Yeah, I think about that. It's like it's like. There are certain things in there, segregated restrooms, segregated drinking fountains, segregated everything society, but we're certainly not post-racial. We're certainly not anywhere where we're near where we should be. Right. And that's, you know, teamwork because on the other hand, you know, more user-created content would be great, but most people don't have the skill, the wherewithal, the whatever to put together a production that would capture the imagination like that. You know, you see right. once in a while actors take a risk and they end up going into independent theaters where they maybe make back their budget, but you, you know, not always. And it's not because it's a bad film per se. It's just because it doesn't have the budget or they don't do or the, the boost behind it or whatever, the proper yeah. or proper advertising or, or promotion or whatever. Yeah. There was a great superhero movie that, um, Stephen Amell's cousin, Robbie Amell put together or was putting together with, I think with friends and, 
it looked awesome. They, they released like a 20 minute, like half of a first episode or something that they had put together themselves. And obviously they're all industry guys. Like they had friends, they could call in professionals, they could make it look good and never heard about it since, which was a shame mm. because it was a great 20 minutes of oh, like, wow. holy crap, yeah. you guys did. And it, what it really was, was like, uh, I can't even, I can't even quantify it. It was very much a, not post-apocalyptic, but futuristic. Um, there's something like mutants, people who have powers and they're oppressed because the government's figured out how to basically and has, you know, basically taken all their rights from around them until they, it's basically segregated or South Africa during apartheid. Oh, like yeah, yeah, they have yeah. to have cards. They have to show what they, they're doing and stuff like that. But some are just identified as mutants or whatever their term mm-hmm. is. And oh, you're talking about, um, uh, 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 shit. Uh, sector eight. Uh, uh, no, it was it. It was like sector eight if the aliens looked human. I okay, guess. Okay, okay, um, okay. Yeah, they definitely have lower income potential. Okay, and, okay. You know, and it's this side, but also like the idea was very much you have this super hot white guy who is stripped of privilege because of some internal thing that the government sees as wrong with him, not because he's done anything. You know, so it's kind of the X Men thing of what if racism looked like white people. What if that happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if it was really awesome people being oppressed right, right. and not just other people that are other people right, but right. different colors or right. shapes or whatever? Yeah. So I just, you know, and it it kills me that that stuff doesn't get enough fundraising and traction, but also there's not really a great infrastructure for No, there's not. There's not and other than stories. like independent film, you know, and and a lot of that is underfunded and and, right. and lost forever, you know. Right. And and also there's these weird strictures in the independent film industry. I, I used to I won a fellowship when I was in high school high school to a scriptwriters network thing. So I got a working scriptwriter to mentor me for a year, and we did all these meetings and developed our little mini movie script, short scripts, and um, and there were all these things you could apply for, like all these festivals and mm-hmm. how to submit and stuff. And mm-hmm. the one that killed me is there was a women's festival. I don't know if it still exists called the Moon Dance Festival. <laughs> it sounds familiar. And the one thing, the reason I As decided opposed to Sundance Moon Dance, right, right, because. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> because. Great space work for the podcast, by the way. Right. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the international sign for jacking off, yes. um, is, is always welcome on radio. So, but the, the rules for the competition were that the characters' conflicts, the main conflict could not be resolved by violence. Mm. Now, I had written to them after I wrote, after I read that and asked, can I have violence all the way up until they decide to shake hands at the end? Like, can it just be, like, a murder spree for, like, 20 minutes until they're like, you know what, let's work together? Or do, does it actually have to be, like, women a sipping... completely not in violent film. Yeah, does it have to be, like, women sipping chamomile in, like, yoga pants and eating yogurt and laughing about it together? Like, I don't know what you're looking for in this, like, when you give me a stricture like that. But that's also a stupid stricture to to say that a female thing is to be nonviolent in its resolutions. Agreed, so, yeah. agreed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I... I'm of that place where, where if you want to talk about equality, everybody needs to have the opportunity to be as good or as bad as everyone else to, to, to succeed or to fail on equal measure, equal, even meritocracy all the way up across the board. And, and that's the whole thing that we've been dealing with, you know, for the past, you know, 16 months of, of women having to, women, people of color, blah, blah, having to, to 
be on this standard that's so far above it, it, the 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 meme is is gee one of these days I would like to uh, uh, feel as confident as a mediocre white man, right? You know, yeah, and so. and there's you know and and the thing like Moondance was I thought was an interesting idea because it's giving women a platform where they might get buried, especially in the current or in the climate when I was in high school, sure, right? Sure. So. On one hand, that's a cool idea. Go team that. On the other hand, the people who put that festival together clearly have an agenda beyond let's get women into film. It's let's get women into film in the method to which we believe they should be. Exactly. Let's let's get women in there in this little box that we want to put them in. Right. Right. Right, right. And that's that always drives me up a wall. It's the same thing. You know, lots of. Well, that's that's why. Yeah. 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 I I agree with that too, and and that's why I like seeing films where you see a woman just going forth and doing what needs to be done regardless of what it is you know characters like Ripley and and you know right. things like that where it's like yes she's going to she's going to you know and and that I want to go back and watch Alien 3 again because of the interplay between Ripley between Sigourney Weaver's character and Charles Dance's character and this and that and and some of the things that she said but you know first we when that movie originally came out we all went and saw it but then we kind of also dismissed it as like man what is this weird thing but and that was the one with Winona Ryder as the as the clone too wasn't it or was that the one after that I think that was two or three that might have been three Uh, yeah Alien 3 and so I want to watch it again I have the trilogy at home Mm. and I want to watch that one again I want to go back and look at it again and see because I keep hearing more things about Alien 3 that everybody shit on at the time but more time goes on, it's like, oh, that one is actually better than everybody remembered. Right. I think there's a Batman analog there as well, like the first, or the Schumacher one. Yeah, the third one, yeah. Batman, uh, Batman, Begin- uh, Batman Forever. Right. We're, we're upsetting. Like, the, the, the really cartoony ones were upsetting to a certain subset of people. On the other hand, and, and, the, and everyone was like the, uh, what's his name? Tim Burton? No. No. After the, the oh uh, Chris Nolan the Chris Nolan ones were amazing and, and amaze balls and they are amaze balls when you watch them the first time. God forbid you're an actual nerd who watches things two or sure, three times, sure, sure, sure. and then the huge cracks start to fall apart because I like Batman Forever because of the cartoonishness. I like right. the over the top ridiculous. Oh, there's neon lights in the ghetto and right. people with fluorescent paint, and you know I like this well, pure crazy spectacle of it. But you grew up with the TV show, right? Uh, yes, very yeah. much so. Which was also cartoony. But that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Batman and Robin is a giant piece of shit. I will yeah. never see it again. I will never see it again. Right. Right. Well, and, and the Tim Burton one, one. The first one. Oh my God! It does not hold up. Right. The Nicholson Keaton. Keaton's good, and I love uh, Michael Gock as Alfred and stuff. But, but, but the Jack Nicholson Joker is not good. Right. It is not good. He's he's doing Caesar Romero. Right. And it's like Caesar Romero's great, but Caesar Romero, Caesar Romero. Right. This is Nicholson. I, I just should have been a little more. Yeah. You know, I mean, people accused, um, uh, 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 what's his name in the Nolan movie of being too Nicholson. It's like, no, Nicholson was too Cesar Romero. Right. And he was, Heath Ledger was doing his own thing with it. Heath Ledger was, oh, it's just, yeah. That makes so. me so sad. Um, <laughs> we're, we're getting, a, a close to end here. Um, what, what's, what have you seen or read or heard or anything 
uh, media-wise that you've consumed lately that you really want to just gush about? Something new or, or different or something you've seen? Or I mean, You saw Logan. You, I, I saw Logan. Logan was great. Uh, Logan, yeah, Logan was great. I would love to see a New Mutants uh, like movie come out of that. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it sets up really well for a New Mutants type of mm-hmm, world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've kind of glossed over a lot of the stuff that would have been difficult with their licensing. Like, you know, Scarlet Witch is no longer responsible for the shit that she's responsible for, right, things right, like right. that, because that would be hard. <laughs> um, I don't know. I it, It's really bad. I kind of live in this bubble, um, and a lot of TV shows, I just, I'll try to stream, you know, I'll try to do mainline all, the entire season or whatever, and I'll just get, like, three into it and be like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Get Down was great, but not enough to, for me to watch past the third episode. Like, but every single episode feels like an entire movie. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. it's a lot mentally. But it's also great to see all these references to the stuff, uh, the references I grew up with with the mm-hmm. hip-hop underground scene and all that stuff. And then, um, what else have you, I don't know. I mean, my, my main media thing that I pimp out constantly is iZombie and I'm super happy that it's coming back and that mm-hmm. they have a date and everything in April. Yeah, Danny watches that too. Because yeah. it's it's amazing. The writing is so tight and it's clean and uh, Rose Mc... Rose, I'm going to say Rose McGowan. I feel like it's not Rose McGowan. It's, it's Rose, Rose McGowan. something else. Rose McIver? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I'm so bad at names. She's, yeah. she's just Liv. Yeah, like, yeah, in, my yeah. heart, in my heart, she's just And like, Zombie, Liv... Yes, live, live some, more. Well, live her last more, name is more. Live yeah, more. She lives more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cute. Yeah, well, and, and that's and also that series is that amazing actually kind of blew my mind a little bit. Uh, I was like, live more. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's also the thing I love. The other thing I love about that, just as a comic book nerd, is I hate the comic book it's based on. Mm-hmm. I love the art. I love the style, and I love that they kept that aspect and only that aspect mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm, comic. Mm-hmm. And everything else they scrapped. Like, in the comics, she's an underachiever. She's not really doing anything with her life. It doesn't really matter that she became a zombie, aside from the fact that she has powers now. Like, and and there's... It's a little over the top. And so it's more Tank Girl, really, in some ways, than anything else. Or in anything that looks like the, the show. But the show is compelling, and it has good relationships. And it's not always super great. And mm-hmm. it's representations of certain subcultures but they address so many subcultures they're so into the idea of exploring humanity and what that looks like nice. i'm super scared for the season because it's going to be the actual like start of the walking dead type scenarios oh, yeah. and that doesn't sound nearly as fun as mm. this monster of the week type shit we've right. been doing up yeah. till now i'm i hope they can pull it off with grace and aplomb but i would hate to see a character like um her main her main sidekick ravi like if he becomes like the Xander dark traumatized never really cracks a joke thing I will be so hard like hurt in my heart because Xander was also like my crack when I was a kid I was I was the funny guy I liked Chandler I right. liked Xander right. I like I like the guy you know I like right. Mercutio yeah. in yeah. Romeo and Juliet like I like those guys and the funny guy yeah and yeah. Xander just kept getting the short end of all the sticks and I don't know whether that was a Whedon-esque choice or just week to week he didn't know what to do with Xander and he's like and he's just there mm. and then he made a joke and it was yeah, cool yeah, yeah. and I was like puppy <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah so I'm, I'm worried that Ravi will become that but I hope that is not the case because Ravi is the best and that's a hashtag that you can look up and it's my super <laughs> favorite hashtag my boyfriend and I always like it's like being in a religion we're just like Ravi is the best Ravi is the best, Ravi is the best. <laughs> call and response serious. yeah it's very serious yeah. We're, yeah we're very serious about our comedy it's uh, <laughs> uh, Catherine yeah. Ryan is another one actually I'm not this sounds horrible. I, there's a very short list of female comics I actually like. Uh-huh. Uh, ones that don't talk about the reproductive organs, for mm-hmm, one, because mm-hmm. that's not shocking if you already have them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Th- that's more them catering to a male audience. Mm-hmm. Catherine Ryan, though, is 
great. I mean, she's not quite as filthy as Jim Jeffries, I don't think, but she's pretty fucking up there. I like, love Jim Jeffries. Yeah, and and I think if you like Jim Jeffries and if you like that kind of like straight face, deadpan, horrifying shit coming out of people's mouths, oh yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Catherine Ryan's special on Netflix up, is Simba up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not Simba. It's a uh, yeah, Gunter. They, they call about it his mom. their mother, Gunter. Gunter? I thought yeah. it was Simba. No, it was Gunter because they saw an elephant at a circus Gunter, one yeah, time yeah, yeah, and okay. Gunter. Up, Gunter, up! Up, Gunter. Up, <laughs> but yeah. you couldn't chase him because they were yeah. too fast, so. Ha, suck it. Fat people are hilarious. Which That's is where the dog comes in! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because whopping your ass is a largely visual activity! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jim Jeffries is one of my totem animals. Like, Love it's, him. He's Love him. just Love lives him. here forever in my heart. And uh, Anthony Jesselnick, which isn't super popular for me to say, but oh, I yeah. love the shit at oh yeah dark 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 dark, yeah you know that's rape joke number three baby doll (laughs) it's just gonna get worse from here like buckle up buttercup like yeah i love i love him i love but that's the kind of comics i love like i like Patton oswald as a creator i have some recommendations for you for female comics that don't talk about their genitalia oh do tell (laughs) uh laurie kilmartin who writes for conan she -hmm. does stand up she just came out with a CISO special called 50 jokes about my dead dad I'm into, I'm into it. I'm super into it. Jackie Cation, who I've loved for a very long time. She's been on the podcast, and they do a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show, and it's basically two, two, road, two female road comics talking about being a woman in the world of stand-up comedy. And yes. they don't talk about their genitalia that much. Yes, they have a, a, an occasional sex joke or a dick yeah. joke or whatever, but they're not, eh, uterus, oh, how that's crazy. You know, they're not like that. Um, I also really highly recommend Maria Bamford. Lots of frank talk about madness and insanity and yeah. her trip to the to trip to the asylum and and yeah. and. Ooh, boy! Feedback is fun. All right. Uh, um, I like Bamford. Uh, not love Bamford. Like won't, her show but, is so good. Yeah, I really, Lady my, Dynamite. My sister's super into her. I haven't watched her specials. I think though, since like her first comedy specials, mm-hmm. Comedy Central. Specials, I highly so. recommend the special, special, special. She did, special, she filmed special, it special. Okay. in her living room in in uh, Eagle Rock. Nice for her parents. That was it. That was the whole audience was her parents. That's awesome. And I think. Was it Cation who opened up for her for that? Anyway, That's but she amazing. was on there for like five <laughs> minutes. But uh, Cation goes and uh, goes with Maria on tour and opens up for her all over the country. That's awesome. Um, but I love and I love and every week, um, Cation and Kel Martin recommend a female comic of the week, and it's all female women in comedy. And it's talking about they they both been in comedy for thirty years. They're both in their mid fifties. They both just talk about the shit that they have the the, the avalanche of, of dick and the avalanche of shit that they get from yeah. men in the industry from bookers promoters club owners other comedians etc 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 and always lifting up other female comics which is great uh, just you know there's so many female comics that, and I don't even think this is necessarily a female thing it's just the amount of females that are represented versus where it touches my sense of humor mm-hmm. is you know Amy Schumer I like her show I don't love her stand up mm-hmm. like uh, Janine Garofalo I love but she hasn't been super active. Um, She's been doing stand-up she, again. She, she just had a new stand-up special that I haven't seen yet. I've seen clips from it and it looks cool. I'm not sure if it's going to be like grabbing me by right. the female balls and right. like dragging me where yeah. they you know, need me to go. Yeah. Uh, Ali Wong is love Ali Wong. Ra- rad and I love I love uh, Fresh Off the Boat as well so that sure. yeah. when I saw that that's what she was I was like yeah. okay but c- talk more. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. You know and just but there's but there's and then when I was like, in college I would watch Showtime at the Apollo a lot and 
Oh, I did that too. Yeah, and, I watched and a lot of that too. And once in a while, there'd be an amazing fucking comic, and you would never see her again. Right. And unless right. you catch that episode again, or it happened to be recording at right. the time, there's no way I can go right. back and find those people. I used to really love um, uh, Jen Karam, uh, Jan Karam, um, uh, who was on one of the stand-up, one of the HBO Young Comedian specials. Um, uh, but after a certain time, she stopped being a stand-up and more went toward the kind of like one-woman show, one-person show kind of route. Um, so uh, I like her a lot. But she used to do a lot of routines about, a lot of stuff about, um, was it... Uh, like having to deal with with like the whole men women thing of you know like going to trying to work out and men coming up and anyway you know kind of the hey little lady kind of yeah. stuff and that was always really funny so yeah my mom's always been not a fan of that part but also it doesn't happen to her as much but also it's usually because she's been going to that gym long enough that she will give them death look yeah death yeah, glare if yeah, they try yeah, yeah. the noobs and the noobs usually gets headed off before they do anything like yeah. that because I really like, recommend Lady Dynamite because it's a it's a good mix between her stand up and basically material or uh, you know. Uh, uh, vignette and or sitcom based on her stand-up and then also her dealings with mental illness very frankly about it yeah. um, and meeting her husband and all that so um, a lot of that is really good too that's good um, yeah. Yeah. yeah but yes and and I love the British humor so Greg Davies and which I wish his special was still on Netflix because I love that special so much mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. Mm, like both nipples straight out every time it's on like it's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's great um, that's but yeah great. so you know, watch stand-up comedy, find the good shit, <laughs> and, uh, cool. yeah. Um, where can people find you online, or do you want people finding you online, or, or are you up to talking to people, or, or do you I, have anything that you put out for, like, public <laughs> consumption, or? Uh, I, I started that Critical Masses blog oh, at right, the beginning right. of the year. I haven't really been keeping it up lately just because I felt like I was fighting a losing battle. Mm. Um, and also some of my infrastructure stuff was messed up at the get, so mm-hmm. that's kind of made it harder to maintain, but... You know, I, I enjoyed what I read of your critical masses blog. Um, I, I would say keep keep fighting the fight. It's not a losing battle, and the more voices we have, we have, right. I think is you know right. And and I'm always happy to talk to people about critical thinking, which I used to teach, sure. and the value of and how to raise sure. critical thinking children or mm-hmm. a linear thinkers. My stepdaughter, I started very early teaching her how to not be a linear thinker. Oh yeah, okay. Because I'm like they're going to teach you to be a linear thinker right up until high school, and then they drop you in college, and you're fucked because yeah. you have no idea how to think right. conceptually. Right. Um, so I've always kind of worked her around that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. I've my degrees are all in child development and education and linguistic and psychology to psychological development and stuff like that so yeah i can help you with kid questions that's why i've always liked talking to you because you just just a fiercely intelligent brain and i'm always always enjoy being around people who are smarter than me because i always i'm never i try to never be to try to never feel intimidated by that and always try to like dive head first and like teach me something please you know i'm always happy to teach i don't know if i agree with and this isn't me being modest i don't know if i would agree with the characterization that i'm smarter than you i'm just i have adhd so i talk a lot more (laughs) than pretty much everybody um and i my interests are really diverse so i Mm -hmm. seem like i'm really well informed on a lot of topics and i am but that's a lot of adhd being like i need to study everything about this now and it's yeah yeah yeah. yeah. but there's different types of intelligence too and i I mean like smarter than me from the aspect of like everyone's an expert about something and so but there's a lot of topics that you 
that you circumnavigate that that I have no experience with. So I'm, I, I right, learn every time I sit down <laughs> and talk to you, I learn something. So that's what I mean. And by, I'm happy to help with yeah, that. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. like you know, computer stuff way better than I do. Like no. I can I can computer a little bit, but I'm mostly a groupie in yeah. the hacker community. Like, <laughs> but I don't know anything about hacking. All I know is how to you know. But you and I have a lot, You and I have a lot of friends that aren't from the club. You know, a lot of people in computer security industry. I think that mm. you don't know from the clubs because I've, I've looked at your mutual friends and I'm like this is not the context I met you in but those guys I'm totally going to see when I go to DEF CON this year right, okay, and, you yeah, know, yeah. and that's that was that was really interesting the last time I looked at our mutual friends I was like oh you know him huh. where's the um, where's the critical mass blog now it's on Facebook I think well there's an actual blog at criticalmasses.info but the everything gets transferred to the Facebook page okay on the other hand again I haven't really been keeping it up so I think it if people want to come talk to me about stuff uh, that's probably more efficacious I'm always happy to have a conversation I might be a little distracted because ADHD plus work and whatever but uh, voice you know Skyping I'm always super happy to like just have FaceTime with people and cool. socialize and cool. Cool. do all the fun things alright so uh, Critical Mass on Facebook and I'll put, masses. Up a, I'll, I'll put up a link Critical Masses so Critical Facebook. Mass is two things in LA and mine is like this weird third over here with the ES after it but okay. Okay. Critical Mask is either a bike Thing where everyone swarms in a bike, you know, certain parts of LA. Uh, um, there's a co-op called The Church in mm. West LA that has critical mass every week, which uh, is just a group discussion that anyone's welcome to come in and about some critical thinking issue. Uh, and then there's my critical masses thing, which was meant to be how to become a critical thinker, uh, to educate the electorate, to be at least decent debaters. If you're going to vote for the jerk face at least have good solid reasons why, why and not because Fox News told me a thing that scared me right or because vagina or right sorry. or because black or because or, or emails right yeah right uh, exactly have a if you're going to do a thing have a reason to yeah. do it because the Mexiqueers took our gerbs no they didn't no, but you know yeah, yeah. Mexiqueers yeah <laughs> so all right. Well, um, thank you darling you're for, very welcome for thank you for here. having That's me so great I yeah. love talking to you so. I love talking to you too this episode is brought to you by WhedonCon 2017, May 19th to 21st at Woodland Hills Marriott. Single day or weekend tickets are now on sale at WhedonCon.com. I'm at St. Michael on Twitter. That's S-A-Y-N-T-M-Y-K-L. Check out our blog. Listen to past episodes on Something2XP.net. We are everywhere online as Something2XP, and I mean everywhere. Subscribe and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook and Google+. Email us at Something2XP at gmail.com. And remember, please be kind. You've just listened to the Something Something Experience podcast with your host, Michael John Simpson. Something 2XP was conceived and produced by Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Cesari. Please visit our website and blog at something2xp.net. You can find us online everywhere as Something2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and like us on Facebook and Google+. This episode was brought to you by WhedonCon 2017, the weekend of May 19th through 21st in Los Angeles. 
For information and tickets, please visit WhedonCon.com. You can email us at something2xp at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.